This week, we're talking about stock and broth, the cornerstone of cooking and reduced waste cooking. I didn't realize until I started researching this episode, although I probably should have, but I didn't realize how controversial those two words are. Not only do people disagree on what the words stock and broth mean, they disagree on how to properly, and you can't see me because this is a podcast, I'm using air quotes, properly make stock and broth. Of course, this podcast is never about definitions, and it is certainly not about doing things the proper way, kind of the opposite, actually. It is about making more food and less waste, using what you have on hand and no recipe. Whatever you want to call the ingredients or the dish that you make, however you want to get to your final product, it doesn't matter as long as you end up with a product that you like and want to eat, one that your kids don't turn their nose up at, one that you don't grimace at when you see it in the fridge at work when it's lunchtime. Cooking isn't absolute, and everyone's tastes are different. Remember, I'm here to help you not fail because that is the tipping point to becoming a good cook. And with all that in mind, we are going to begin by hearing a very technical definition and process for making stock from my friend Sarah Gavigan. I chose to show you only one because there are so many and the more you hear, the more confusing it gets as I can attest to while writing this episode. After we hear from her, We'll dial it back in our normal, bastardized, pantry raid fashion. Sarah is the owner of Otaku Ramen and Bar Otaku here in Nashville. She is trained under really renowned ramen masters and spent many, many, many hours perfecting the art of stock for ramen in her home and at the restaurant. She recently wrote a book called Ramen Otaku, and my sweet friend Emily Dorio did all the photos for it. It's a great book. If you want to learn how to make ramen at home, I can't recommend it enough. When I first learned how to make ramen, the very first thing was the difference between broth and stock. Broth is what I knew. Broth was a little bit of bones, a lot of water, some mirepoix, and some seasoning. Stock was something that I thought I knew, but I didn't, which was double the amount of bones, filtered water, uh, very low temperature, and a much longer time frame. The three things that you want, you truly want out of the bones to make it a bone stock is fat, collagen, and calcium and magnesium. That is the good stuff. And it takes a very long time to get to that. So my recommendation would be if you have a chicken stock to keep it below 190 degrees or you will burn your stock. Um, One of the things that I learned about a really great fatty chicken stock is that chicken feet as a raft on the top, bring it up very, very slow, and then that's going to leach all the collagen out, seal the pot, keep oxygen out. With a pork stock, what we make at the ramen shop – It is all about kind of softening up those bones in the first stage and then rolling those bones at a boil. So still first and a busy second. Um, And that way you've really, if you think about uh, pork bone, it's got the marrow in the middle and you've got joints that have collagen and soft tissue um, and cartilage throughout them. There's all kinds of great minerals and nutrients in that cartilage. The only way to get that cartilage to melt is to soften the bone. So we soften the bones at about 190 to 200 
um, for about five hours. And then we start the hard boil rolling process, which is then going to start to push the marrow out of the bone. And then eventually, once you get it up to 210 and plus, it's going to begin to melt all of the other pieces, and then lastly, decalcify the bone. So one of the indicators for us, other than a beautiful creamy stock, would be pulling out a bone and seeing that it has decalcified. It looks white, literally, on the outside. It looks like a dinosaur bone. And that's when you know you've literally extracted every piece of goodness out of that bone. So that's how I teach my guys that it's time to bail the stock. You can speed this up with a pressure cooker. Uh, the pressure cooker is going to soften the bones much, much quicker. And then you can take them out of the pressure cooker and go to a hard boil. I prefer, and I make all my chicken stock in the pressure cooker because it takes oxygen out of the equation. And that's what's going to give you a really beautiful golden stock. Also, a pressure cooker is going to control temperature much better than a slow cooker. Slow cookers tend to be hotter than you think. To avoid confusion for the rest of the episode, when I say stock, I mean something that is gelatinous or close to gelatinous when it's cold. It's thickened probably by collagen, and it's a little more viscous than broth, which is kind of like a savory tea. The difference is in the texture, and I really discourage you all from saying the word mouthfeel because it is disgusting. The way I make both has a lot more to do with efficiency and laziness than it does technique. Nevertheless, I don't fail at it, and neither will you. My philosophy on making stock goes back to a book that was written in 1942. It's called How to Cook a Wolf, and this is from the back cover. It was written to inspire courage in those daunted by wartime shortages. How to Cook a Wolf continues to rally cooks during times of plenty, reminding them that providing sustenance requires more than putting food on the table. I own very few books that are as dog-eared as this one because in it, MFK Fisher says all these things that you read and think, that is such common sense, but why has no one ever said it to me before? My favorite of which reads, This simple but surprisingly little practice rule is true in using an oven. Try to fill every inch of space in it. And that's what I do when I make stock. As I cook throughout the week, I set aside my food scraps in a container in my freezer so they don't go bad. Chicken bones, carrot peels, onion skins, the ends of celery, celery leaves, uh, mushroom stalks are really good, the rind of cheese, things like that. When I have enough of everything to make a big pot of stock, I plan accordingly so that I can utilize my extra oven space while it cooks. Yes, I make stock in the oven and here's how I do it. I tend to agree with Sarah that bones need to be cooked much longer than vegetables to give up what they have to offer. And so I'll bring bones and filtered water only up to a simmer on my stovetop. If any foamy, scummy stuff rises to the top, I will skim it off with a slotted spoon but I really don't stress out about making perfectly clear stock if only because um, impurities tend to settle at the bottom of your container in the fridge and because the stock is so gelatinous, as you pour it out, they won't float back up. They'll stick to the bottom and you can leave them there and it's not a big deal. Then I add a cap full of apple cider vinegar. This is just a theory. I honestly don't have any science to back it up, but I often feel that it helps the connective tissue break down easier. 
I put the lid on the pot. I put the pot in the oven at usually 275 to 300 degrees. I'm going to say that needs to sit in the oven for at least two hours. So this is a good point to take a little detour and talk about what else you can put in the oven during that time. You can confit pretty much anything. Uh, Chicken, fish, vegetables, roast whole heads of garlic, slow caramelized onions. I don't see why you couldn't slowly cook some granola. Um, You can get a lot done in two hours. When the two hours are up, I keep the bones in the pot and add my vegetable scraps and often a little bit of salt, which brings us to don't buy this. Don't buy iodized salt. (laughs) You thought I was going to say boxed stock, didn't you? Well, you shouldn't buy that either because it's a terrible ripoff and they all smell bad. Like Jack Bishop from America's Test Kitchen, when he reviewed them, said most of them smelled like roadkill. And I agree with that fully. But you really shouldn't buy iodized salt unless you have an iodine deficiency and really need it. Because when you put it in things like stock that have a lot of collagen, the collagen kind of carries the iodine and you'll notice the next day after you make it, it may have kind of a metallic taste to it. It can ruin a really good thing. I'll also add a don't use this since we're talking about metallic tastes. I tend to stay away from pots that are made of reactive metal when I'm making stock. Um, You really want to use stainless steel or enameled cast iron. And my friend Ryan Bernhardt, who owns TKO here in Nashville, gave me this amazing cookbook called The Wisdom of the Chinese Kitchen by Grace Young. I'm obsessed with it, and I may never give it back to him. But when she talks about making stock, she says traditional Chinese cooks do not use metal pots at all, and they don't serve soup with metal spoons. Cindy Messenger, are you listening to me? Don't serve soup with sterling silver spoons. So now that we've cleared up the difference between stock and broth, and we've talked about how to make stock, and we've nitpicked my mother, let's get into answering some of your questions about stock and broth. One, how do I know when it's done? Done is a really relative term. You can cook stock for two hours and it will still add a lot more to your dishes and soups than something in a box from the grocery store. However, it can also be done after 48 hours and like Sarah said, your bones look like dinosaur bones. For me, stock is really done when most of the grisly little bits that were hanging onto bones have dissolved into the liquid. I don't even go for all of them. Too lazy, not enough time in the day. And when the vegetables taste like nothing. I learned that concept from an everlasting meal, Cooking with Economy and Grace, which is the modern version of how to cook a wolf. Um, And in it, Tamar Adler says that the vegetables will taste like nothing because they've given everything to the stock. Two, what if you don't have enough bones or you're a vegetarian and you don't want to use bones at all? Don't sweat it. You can absolutely add gelatin, just like the little packets that you get in the baking section, or agar-agar or pectin if you're a vegetarian. All those things will add body to your stock. There's a great article about it on Serious Eats, and I'm going to link to it in my newsletter, which you can sign up for at the bottom of hmmessenger.com. I send out a newsletter with every episode that comes out with links to recipes and all the things that I've talked about during the episode. Three, Do I have to use weird parts like the neck and the feet? 
No way. Of course, you do not. If you don't have enough bones in your freezer bag of scraps, you can go buy feet. They're full of connective tissue and they're cheap. I really think if you only use feet, your stock will end up tasting like feet. That might be all in my head, but I can't get over it. I just use the leftover bones from chicken thighs I've roasted and eaten. You don't have to use anything weird if you don't want to. This next one is my most favorite question. Can we stop saying bone broth? Yes, yes. 1,000 times yes. What paleo people call bone broth is stock. And finally, the question that everyone wanted the answer to. When do I use stock and when do I use broth? That's another tough one. And we're going to get deep into it, but here's a general rule to follow. You usually cannot use broth in place of stock, but you can water down stock to use in place of broth. I often think of stock as an agent for coating things. So the way ramen noodles feel silky against your lips, that's stock. The way a pan sauce is really glossy and beautiful, stock. Perfectly glazed, shiny vegetables, stock. You can't really use broth in its place because broth doesn't have collagen or gelatin in it and it won't thicken around anything. It will reduce and it might get syrupy if you add sugar, but it won't be the same. As for using stock in the place of broth, which is essentially what store-bought stock is, box stock is broth, no wonder we're all so confused. (laughs) When you're using it in place of broth, the more stuff you're cooking with it, the more you can water it down. So if you're making a soup that's going to cook down with vegetables and meat and beans and whatever else, you should absolutely water down your homemade gelatinous stock a ton. On the other hand, if you are making one of my favorite dinners, which is handfuls of sad vegetables from the fridge tossed into a pot with some pasta and some liquid cooked for 10 minutes, shavings of Parmesan and lots of herbs on top, maybe some olive oil and pepper, don't water that down. That won't have enough time to soak up the flavors of anything else. You really want to use rich, delicious stock for something like that. At this point in the episode, you might be thinking, why would I ever make broth? Stock seems like where it's at. Don't think that. It's not true. I saved broth for the end because, like always, I think the thing at the end should be the most exciting. Broth, like stock, can be a total hodgepodge of things that you have left over and have saved in your freezer until you have enough of them. I will tell you with broth, you will need more stuff. Um, Something about the connective tissue in stock amplifies and carries flavors. So with broth, you often need more stuff or more salt in your finished soup, risotto, whatever it is. Broth can also truly be the product of an everlasting meal. I often reserve liquid from blanching and then use it to blanch other vegetables over and over and over again until that liquid tastes so good I can use it as broth. What I think is really intriguing about broth is that you can use it to hone in on a single flavor. A great example is corn. You can use the cobs of corn to make just corn broth. It's 
intense and sweet, and you could add it to a summer corn risotto to make it more (laughs) corny. (laughs) Or you could use it as the liquid in homemade tortillas. You can get so creative with single flavor broths. And I know I said you could use stock for really quick soups. That's kind of as a dinner thing, maybe as an appetizer or a really, really light summer meal. You could reserve the rehydrating liquid from some dried mushrooms and throw in very, very lightly blanched fresh peas and asparagus and top it with mint oil or parsley oil. Just think of it as something more refreshing and less hearty. You can make broth more hearty by adding umami to it. Um, It just, once again, will not thicken like stock. The way you do that is you can add, say, Parmesan cheese rinds to it as it's cooking. You can puree in roasted garlic. You can, 10 points if you knew I was going to say this, add some miso. But usually the places I choose to use broth are dishes that get their richness from elsewhere. I'm talking about things like risotto that has cheese grated in, or I cook whole grains in broth if I'm going to make a salad out of them and use a vinaigrette. Anything like a vegetable puree or a creamy soup that gets its body from the starch in the vegetable or maybe cream or butter mixed into it, that's a great place to use broth for thinning them out. If I were making braised collards with bacon or a ham hock, I would use broth, not stock. And probably my favorite place to use it is Greek lemon chicken soup, Avgulamono. It's thickened with egg yolks, so you really don't need the richness of stock. You can use broth, and you can make it a lemon broth. One final note about broth. I don't know why, but ginger is the hardest flavor to get into broth. It seems to need to come into contact with fat, gelatin, collagen, something that will carry it, or... You need to let the ginger pieces sit in your broth at least overnight in the fridge. The longer it sits in there, the stronger it will taste. This episode was written by me, Hannah Messenger, and produced by Tony Gonzalez, who suggested that I ask you to rate or review our podcast on your podcast app, because apparently that is how we can keep making episodes. We need your support and also kind of your money. Sorry, that's so awkward, but you can give us your money on Patreon, patreon.com slash H-M-M-E-S-S-I-N-G-E-R. Thanks for listening to Pantry Raid, and don't forget to join me every Monday on my Instagram stories when you tell me what odds and ends you have in your kitchen, and I tell you what I'd make with them. Keep making more food and less waste.